0: This is the Guardian.
1: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. A brilliant game at the Lane, the kind of attacking football El would have loved, if not the result. A thousand offside goals for Spurs. Turns out Villa's high line is the best one will, of course, pay tribute to the man who gave us Euro 96. Meanwhile, as we suggested, Chelsea had turned a corner and threadbare Newcastle were running out of steam until Chelsea reversed back round the corner as St James's Park made the kind of noise the Etihad really didn't. City won, Liverpool won in the title, decided despite neither side now being top of the league, it seemed a little dreary. Perhaps we should join Jurgen Klopp's protests at 12.30 kick off That was a good goal, wasn't it, Barry? Alejandro Garnaccio out Rooney's Rooney, sprinting back for that overhead that even got Trevor Sinclair slightly nervous. Then there's Luton winning the Troy Townsend junior-senior-junior junior derby. Arsenal going top after Aaron Ramsdale remembered how to play football. Last-minute agony for Burnley and just some more agony-agony for Sheffield United. As always, we'll answer your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendening. Welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, John Bruin.
0: Hello, Max.
1: And hello, Troy
0: Townsend. Hi,
1: Max. Uh, let's start then. Difficult to know which game to start with. There were lots of good ones. No. Perhaps no standout one, um, but given the Terry Venables news, we'll start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Mike says, after three defeats on the spin for Spurs, is this the worst title defence ever seen? Gavin says, if, if the Spurs slump continues and the Johnny-Lou-Ange prophecy comes to pass, which vibes man will Spurs go for next? Bez, he asks. Um, I mean, they they could have been, Barry, 5-0 or maybe 5-2 up after about 20 minutes. Every time I looked up, Kyungmin's son had scored (laughs) it was ruled out for offside. And yet Aston Villa won.
2: Yeah, I mean, I thought this was the standout game of the weekend by a considerable distance and as someone with no dog in the fight, I, I found it tremendously entertaining. And I suppose if you're looking at it from a Tottenham perspective, which Aston Villa fans would be annoyed that I'm doing that, but... You can look at it either of two ways. You can say that considering the number of high-profile key players they had missing, they gave it a good right good go and played tremendously well and with better finishing probably should have won. And then you can also look at it the perspective that they went ahead but continued to play kamikaze attacking football with a team... That went out with four full backs in the back four, a centre, a no defensive midfielder, and a centre back and a defensive midfielder on the bench. One of whom eventually came on after Rodrigo Bentencourt had to go off because of that Matty Cash tackle. So, if I was a Spurs fan, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that performance. But we have two here, so I'll, I'll be interested to hear your perspective. I think I'd be quite pleased with it, even though they lost from a winning position for the third game in a row and made life unnecessarily difficult for themselves. But it was a brilliant game of football. They did okay. Probably a little unlucky to lose, but but poor finishing has been costing them and they missed a heck of a lot of chances here. Uh, Destiny Udogi, Kulisevsky, Brian Hill... Brennan Johnson twice, Son twice, all missed good chances, and then they would uh, seventeen goals ruled out for, for fractional <laughs> offsides. That you know, on they were you know, very little in it, very tight. Yeah, I, I think if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be pleased with that performance, even in defeat. But uh, I can understand why some might be gnashing their teeth. And the the thing is, I think. Ange Postacoglu, they went ahead against Wolves last time out, sat back, defended the lead, and that didn't work. And that sort of goes against everything Ange is about. So I think this time they went ahead and they went, well, let's just get more goals. And and Villa took advantage of the fact that they didn't have any centre-backs, didn't have a a defensive midfielder, and and came back to beat them. Troy, are you gnashing your teeth, or are you pleased? (laughs) I'm pleased that it was a
3: good game of football. Two top top managers going against each other. And I think you've got to give praise to Villa here because they were off the pace first half, despite obviously an offside goal for Villa straight after Spurs had scored. Um and then obviously that Paul Torres header right on um right on time, they were off the pace. And you've got to hand it to Emery because he knew they were off the pace and he took off um Matty Cash, who, to be fair, was was Angling for a red card. I don't know what was wrong with him yesterday. I didn't like the tackle on Ben Ben Tonker. Not the best, particularly someone that has suffered a long-term injury and maybe could have gone for a couple of niggly ones after that. He took him off. He took the RB off, who was ineffective. He's been really, really good this season. But the changes were positive and the changes put Villa on the front foot. And I think they they took Spurs by surprise. Tillemans set up the goal for Ollie Watkins. Very similar goal to one we'll speak about a little bit later on. And and Bailey was a threat as well. So I, I think you've got to hand it to the way that Emery turned it around. Spurs were unfortunate, but no one's going to remember being unfortunate in a, you know three games on the spin and you know throwing away a, a goal lead and being on the front foot. And I, I like Ange, but maybe there comes a time where particularly after two defeats that you kind of go, we need to get a result out of today's game. And Villa are no mugs. Listen, I thought... Unai Emery did very, very well in a way that he changed it. And, and uh, you know, they in the end, they deserved the win, despite all those Spurs opportunities.
1: Prior to this game, John, since Unai Emery took over, Aston Villa have caught teams offside 163 times. And in second place is Liverpool with 93. So... Is that just great skill? Like, all these goals when, you know, Tottenham are thinking, oh, we, God, we could have just put, just put you know, a, a toe here, you know, or a, a shoulder there, you know, we'd be 2 nil up or 3 nil up. Actually, this is just Aston Villa doing what they're good at.
0: Yeah, that, that frequency suggests that Unai Emery is the new George Graham. Uh, and maybe it could have worked out for him at Arsenal after all. Uh, <laughs> for, for older viewers will recognise that one. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the things that Troy talks about there is Unite Emery is, uh, it's in-game management, isn't it, that he's recognised for 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 the quality of manager that he is. It felt to me as if Ange just pushed, pushed the accelerator, kept it on, and my, watching that game, towards the end of that game, Spurs players were absolutely on their feet. They were tired. Uh, and that that's what will happen if you play at that speed of, uh, or attack a game with with that, that amount of uh, ambition to, to, to kill the game so early. Uh, and if the chances don't go in, uh, then that gives the opposition chance. And if you don't play centre-halves, uh, then someone like Poe Torres, who's a very good header of the ball, is going to score a ball that is smashed into the box. He'd already done it before, and yet he was able to do it again for the goal.
1: It's a brilliant free kick, though, isn't it? I mean, it's an, it's, that delivery is amazing.
0: It was fantastic, but... You know they've practised it 100,000 100, times over. And they know that as soon as Emery sees the team sheet, he's like, well, OK, we're going to do that routine if we can. Uh, and um, again, this probably, you know, Spurs are struggling for players. But Tielemans, who's a player who, let's say, he's not exactly been a hit so far at Aston Villa, but is a very, very skillful player. They bring a player on. He supplies a goal for Ollie Watkins, uh and in Ollie Watkins you've got a player playing the best football of his career. So uh Tottenham listen, <laughs> the, the Ange thing is he's almost now the ideal Tottenham manager. This is this is what Tottenham have have wanted when they had Conte. We really had Potts, you know, they wanted someone who who was Devil May Care, who did play like Keith Birkinshaw or something like that. And that's what they've got. And but you do wonder in the year 2023 how long that of just Mike, that's just the way we're going to play is going to, you wonder how long that is going to wash with certain Spurs fans. I get the feeling you two are on board with it still, and that's good. I'm on board with it still because you know when Spurs are on TV, it's going to be a good game. And Spurs, that's how Spurs were, they were the entertaining team. When Elton Wellsby put them on the, you know, in the eight seasons you're
2: really wheeling out the old references <laughs> well, here. We're just, we're just a... Wellsby, well, we just, we just have Wellsby, Birkenshaw, Graham. This,
0: this is it. You see, I mean, well, we're just about to get to. Uh, well, we're doing more of yeah. that in a bit, Barry. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> but th- this is. I, I like the new Spurs as the old Spurs. I'm not sure it's a, it's a formula for success, but it's fun, and that's what I watch football for.
1: Yeah, it's vibes. It's it's vibes, isn't it? Man City away next, Troy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, there'll be some vibes there, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bit that's just of... the
0: way we play, yeah. mate. <laughs> Sod it.
1: Sod it. Here we go. I mean I looked at that starting lineup and I couldn't work it. I was I looked at it, I was like, I can't see any I can't see a centre I can't see any of that <laughs> there were any centre backs. But I was like, what's he do?
3: I think he might play a centre back next week. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he
1: might. He might. Um. Sam says, "Are Aston Villa title contenders? Uh, of course they are, but you know they are fourth. Barry, two points off the top. Yes, Troy. You remember
3: hand... they're my fourth place team. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. everyone laughed at me. And, yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Well done. What's their What's their ceiling? So, what you think? For, I mean, what do you reckon, Baz? They, they. You have to take them seriously now, don't you?
2: You don't have to. I do, I suppose you do because they are improving. All the time under Emery, I don't think they'll win the title, but their next three games are Bournemouth away, City and Arsenal at home. So we'll, I, you know, come back to me in three weeks and I'll tell you whether or not they're title contenders. Okay. Somebody put a note in their <laughs> phone because I'll forget. Well, if 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 they win all three of those games, I I won't forget. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, let's talk
1: about Terry Venables. Uh, tributes are paid before kickoff uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. He's passed away at the age of 80. He'd been uh, ill for for some time. I thought the journalist Ian King kind of summed it up, saying Spurs fans will be thinking of 91, QPR of 82 or 83, England of 96, Palace of 79, Barcelona of 86. And actually on that sort of vibes idea, we had this email from Peter who said, hello there, I've been thinking about your discussion regarding vibes and how it might relate to the great Terry Venables. It seemed to me that his tenure as England manager, wasn't actually all that great in terms of performances and results. But he did make us feel great. England were not that good at all for large parts of Euro 96. They played five games, were pretty lacklustre for three of them against Switzerland, Scotland and Spain. They were obviously good against the Netherlands, but they weren't actually that brilliant. It's worth watching the game again. Netherlands outscored England on XG. I'm glad someone's gone back to Euro 96 to do the XG on games that didn't have XG. They were also very lucky, McAllister's mixed missed penalty, a Spanish goal that was wrongly disallowed for our side, a Germany goal wrongly disallowed. It's worth remembering that in those days you got to the semis after just one knockout tie. And yet it all somehow felt great. And that actually matters too because Venables gave us an experience that has stayed with us for decades. There was an extraordinary amount of memorable moments in just those five games. Southgate said Venables made people feel special. He certainly made England feel pretty special for those few weeks in 96. And for that, we owe him a debt of gratitude. Cheers, Peter. And he... He's right, isn't he, John? Like, like he he did make us feel great. We look back so. I mean, nostalgia is a huge part of being a football fan. But it was and 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 for people of our generation, right, and where we've got older and young younger listeners. But for anyone sort of from mid thirties to late forties, that was just absolutely seminal tournament.
0: It, it was, and let us remember that during the pandemic, what was on constantly was you know TV broadcasters trying to make people feel happy. Well, Euro 96 was on permanent rotation, because it, because for for, for, the, for that sort of Generation X, it, it was that key moment. And I think, chatting to some younger colleagues yesterday, I don't think they quite realise what a, and that's understandable, they weren't around, what an an everyman figure Terry Venables was for a generation. And I'm sorry, Barry, I'm going to go back to the St and Greasy days here, because It felt like Terry was the sort of uncle over in Spain doing well for himself. Because that was your portal into football, wasn't it? That sort of half hour on a Saturday. They said, oh, let's go and see how Terry's getting on. It was always Terry, never Terry Venables. You know, he he was by his first name. And he did this... Yeah, he was the manager that sold Diego Maradona and won the league in Spain with Steve Archibald. You know, and and, uh, he got to the European Cup. I don't need to run through Terry's history. Everyone knows what he achieved. But then he was also the guy that uh him because Jimmy Hill was the arch conservative on the in the match of the day uh you know punditry team and Terry was the, the great uh innovator. But you, you'd see Terry and you'd think there's a guy who, if you stood next to him, that you, you could almost smell the, the the mix of champagne and cologne. Uh he had the, the paunch of someone that lived his life well and uh, as well as being this football guy that was all over football, knew football, he tried to live other lives. Now, obviously, that was problematic in certain senses uh, and stopped his football career becoming what it might have been. But what he did it, just about everywhere until the later part of his career, if you think about Paul Gascoigne, you know, the player that is, uh, our generation would look to as the best player that we've seen as an Englishman, who who made him play best his best football? That was Terry Venables at Spurs that nineteen ninety-one season. And he just had that ability to make players believe in themselves. Um and in that Euro ninety-six tournament, England played for the first time, and perhaps the only time, like a continental team, because Terry Venables took lessons from the Ajax system from across Europe and made a team adaptable and uh, you know, Gary Neville talked, didn't he, about all the different positions he played during one tournament. And uh as a football man, there are very few people like Terry Venables. and it's very sad to see him no longer around.
1: Mm. And that's true, Troy, isn't it? That he I don't know if it's an oversimplification to say English football pre Ltel was four four two, get it launched, and you know, mm there are hey. a couple of people on this panel who like that kind of thing <laughs> but but you know he, so i don't know if he was a revolutionary i don't know if that's perhaps too far but he was certainly incredibly tactically astute you know and and as ever if you have read any of the obituaries about him every player just loved him
3: yeah i think look you have to almost you know that revolutionary term you may have to use it because he he changed football in a, in a way that many had tried to but hadn't done in the past. You know, going out to Barcelona was no mean feat, considering they hadn't won the title for some 10-plus years. Taking Stevie Archibald out there and making him become a hero is no mean feat either. But dealing with that England situation, I think the England situation, yeah, he, he didn't have a great record at England, but for those four or five weeks, what it was of those Euros, and John has quite rightly said, Everyone fell back in love with their nation. Um, And remember, they had a tricky entry into the Euros with the old uh, going out drinking and the bar stuff. But he elevated players. The way that Shearer, Lineker, Gary Neville, uh, Darren Anderton, I don't know if you heard Darren Anderton yesterday, but the way that they spoke about him, just as a human being, you know, someone that cared, generally cared about them. Shearer wasn't having a good time for England. And, you know, Eltel el there I am calling him el by the way, um, you know, strolled in and said, you're going to be my number nine, you know, no matter how many goals, you know, if you don't score for the next five, six, seven games. And Shearer said, you know, that gave him the confidence to go into that Euros, believing that he was the best number nine in in, in Europe. Darren Anderton getting booed at Spurs and and getting taken off in a game. And he ignored the game, went down to the changing room and, and said to Darren, I didn't even buy you for this season. I bought you for next season. So everything you do this season is a bonus. You know. So every time you go out on the pitch, just, just take it as a bonus. So the way that he handled, you know, we hadn't heard those stories before. So the way that he handled those situations, as well as then becoming this, this top tactical coach who, you know, when you hear the likes of Gary Neville said he'd never seen it before and, and who he'd worked under, you know, that is an, an amazing plaudit. And, and also remember for that Euros that it was already decided that he was not going to continue in that role and Glenn Hoddle was coming in. And, and sometimes as a manager, you can almost just pie that off, can't you? Well, I'm not really going to to worry about this. But he wanted to bring that trophy home because he knew that his status um, was at, was going to be at such a high. And it's, yeah, it's a real shame that they couldn't, um, thanks to the current England manager. But hey, it's, it's one of those things, wasn't it?
1: When Troy was mentioning the dentist chair, Baz, you know, we, we were on the radio yesterday when the news broke. And a, a couple of things that really stuck out to me was one was Danny Kelly coming on spoke brilliantly about him, but said, you know, he he was the first player he saw that had a s always had a suntan. Yeah. You know, all these yeah. old sixties cloggers were all balding and just a buck tooth and all this, and here was this debonair guy. And the other was Gary Mabbott, who said, you know, even after defeats, he'd take them to a nightclub.
2: So he probably, he probably wasn't that bothered about the dentist chair, was he? Yeah, I mean, he, he just seemed like a guy who'd be great company on a night out. Uh, you know, good stories. Lots of champagne. He was quite popular in Ireland. Like in Ireland, everyone kind of liked Terry. Barca Jim, our pal, he, he texted me yesterday and described him as the very likable manager of a very unlikable team in that England uh, Euro 96 team. And I think it's important to remember that around the time of Euro 96, English football wasn't in a very good place. And I think a lot of the games of that tournament, not England games, but a lot of other games uh, featuring, you know, not Scotland, not England, were pr- pretty poorly attended. Whereas now they wouldn't, you know, every stadium would be packed for every game, no matter who was playing. And I think the success, such as it was of that England team, did a lot to to make football more popular or repopularise football in in this country.
1: Mm. And that four-one. I remember going to Parker's Piece, which is a big square expanse of grass in Cambridge, and playing like a just taking a ball down after the Netherlands game, and it was still sort of it was sort of dusk, and it ended up about eighty aside, and just absolutely shit-faced people so delighted at that result, and then the penalties after the, the penalties against Germany. I think the BBC played Walk Away by Cast, and just sitting there bereft, thinking well, we couldn't not win this tournament.
0: That moment though went. The photo's been in every paper of Gareth Southgate's missed the penalty and Terry Venables goes over to... And Venables has got this smile of all this, like, almost like, hey, it doesn't matter. You know, like, because he did have this attitude of, like, as much as he loved football and he wanted to win, there was this sort of, it's not everything, you know? Like, and and you could... I mean, Southgate, obviously, will have, we'll have plenty to say on that, but I did think that moment was... There was a levity to Terry Venables that you don't often find in football, especially these days, apart from your, your good friend Ange, because uh, that's just the way we play, mate.
1: Yeah, it's all about good vibes and, and El gave us that. May he rest in peace. We'll be back in a sec.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Let's go to St. James's Park. Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. Nathan says, is it possible that Chelsea are turning a corner? But they're doing it like Clark Griswold in National Lampoons. Is another reference for the kids. National Lampoons European vacation circling the roundabout going nowhere. Look, kids. Big Ben, Parliament. Ryan, thank you for this, Ryan. Given that they lost 4-1 to a team who during the 90 minutes fielded a 17-year-old Lewis Miley, 19-year-old Michael... Indy Wenny, 19-year-old Alex Murphy, 20-year-old Amu Diallo, and a 34-year-old Matt Ritchie. Should Chelsea have strengthened in the summer transfer window? Yes, the gag still works. There is something, Troy, about St James's Park and momentum that can blow teams away, and I certainly need to stop writing them off.
3: It was raucous again, wasn't it? Um, there's something, I mean, the plaudits Eddie Howe has, has received are a well-deserved and this is a team that's also, you've named those those young players and, and obviously Matt Ritchie at the other end. And, and they're also, you know, in the midst of a, an injury crisis that has impacted them. Um, but playing at home there has given them a massive lift. And uh, listen, I was honestly thought with the way Chelsea have been going just recently, the turnaround, that they'd win this one. But Newcastle came to the fore and, and that young Lewis Miley, someone that's been spoken about quite a bit and someone who... Um, had a really good summer. It was earmarked for some games. I don't think he was earmarked for some games so so quick, but the opening goal was all about his threaded pass through to Isaac, and it was a beautiful pass through the eye of a needle, and, and Isaac dispatched it in the manner that it deserved, else no one would be able to talk about it. And I suppose from there, that gave Newcastle the belief with the players in the team that they could go on and finish it off. Now... I'm not quite sure. Chelsea contributed quite a bit to this Newcastle win. Obviously, I mean, Thiago Silva who I championed quite a bit, not just because of his age, but because of his quality. Ter- oh, that John's given me the old yet yeah, give it a rest sign. But um,
0: no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, Thiago. It's it was sad actually. Yeah, I-, I-, yeah. I-, I share. I- I- I've always liked him as a player, but. It, that was painful to watch, wasn't it?
1: Well, there was a bit in the first half where he tried to do a sort of little spin and fell over. And I was like, well, that's the worst part of this game for him. But then actually, when he did that back pass, he kicked it about as hard as Ian Rushton can kick a ball. It was like suddenly, <laughs> he suddenly turned into a kitten. There was nothing he could do. The,
3: the, you can tell there was obviously things going through his mind about what he wanted to do with the ball. And, and that moment where you, you know what you want to do with it, like... The, the trip in the first half, when, when he miskicked it in the first half. And I, I don't know, I, I felt for him. It's one of those I felt for him because I do like him as a footballer. And then you look at their skipper and what he'd done, you know, two incredibly silly yellow cards. And, you know, if you're going to take the armband, you've got to act like a captain. And I, I think he's let his team down massively there. But Newcastle were very, very good. Um, the goals they scored were, were, were good as well. And um, yeah, I think... He'll be pleased with that, Eddie Howe, because it, it was a tricky fixture, but the crowd does drive that team on, you know, and I've, it was an excellent result
1: for them. Lewis May looks about eight, doesn't he? Just just not a blemish on that young face. He was born on the 1st of May 2006. I know he's always, what was number one? Crazy by Niles Barkley was number one. I mean, that to me is still quite a modern <laughs> song. Yeah. I'm, like, oh, I'm like, oh, no, That's, this is yeah. bleak.
0: They played that song at my 30th oh, wow. birthday. I remember that. So <laughs> that that makes me feel very old, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, Baz, you, like me, thought
2: Chelsea would win this game. I did, yeah. And they played okay in the first half. And then the second half collapse was uh, just spectacular. They, they're they really struggling for consistency. I think they, they drew with Liverpool, then lost against West Ham. They drew with Arsenal. Then lost at home to Brentford, drew with City, and now they got uh, thumped by Newcastle. You know, any they look like they're getting going, they they automatically suffer a setback. And Pochettino was understandably furious after the game, and I think for the first time, got stuck into these his players. Like he used the royal "we," you know, "we" as in it's the whole collective, but. I think there was a lot of finger pointing going on and he was sort of absolving himself from any blame. Yeah, it it's it's something that's been raised on the podcast before that just the lack of experience in the team. And then when you have two of the more experienced players, one of them getting a daft red card and the other, you know, playing like he's never actually set foot <laughs> on a pit football pitch before, that that doesn't help.
1: It doesn't. Uh right, let's go to the Etihad Man City one, Liverpool one. Producer Joel wrote A good game between two really good teams. Now I was watching this game while I was yeah, I was watching this game while queuing to drop my bags at a budget airline check in because my connecting flight was cancelled after sixteen hours in the air. So I might not have been in the right mood for this game, but I thought it was rubbish, John.
0: Yeah, I I watched it uh well, the second half at um at of Road, and let's just say the press room was not wrapped by this, yeah. Grand slam fixture, it just wasn't really happening, was it? Both out tacticking each other. Um, okay, what are the major points of the game? Alison's goal kick, oh dear, he wouldn't have made it into one of those um montages of goal kicks that you get on the internet, would you? No. Who's the guy that does those? Oh, uh, Brian's gun, yeah, excellent. Yeah, Bri- really Brian. he wouldn't have made it into Brian's gun, no. Um, and then he's I don't think it was particularly convincing when Haaland shots along the floor either. That was all his mistake. Um, Great goal by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Let's credit him with that. Still not sure he's a midfielder. It was just... I think there comes a point when those two teams have been... They had that white-hot rivalry. It probably still exists in a certain sense. I think both teams were just happy to get that out of the way. Move on. Let's win the other games. And we'll we'll pick it up from there. Um, Liverpool obviously needed to win that to 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 keep in the well. They're obviously in the title race, but I think they need really need to you know that needs to be a statement win for them. They didn't get it. Didn't really look like getting it either.
1: Do you think? I think. I don't know. I think them. You know, because City had won, what, 23 in a row? And that, that, that home, home, in all yeah. competitions. Yeah, well, they, they
0: protected Jonathan Wilson's modesty with some, yeah. yeah, some Sunderland manager of the 15th century 1990s. or whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bede, Bead <laughs> yeah. was managing them when, when,
1: when, yeah, exactly. when this happens. Yeah, um, John says that while it's understandable that Man City players were tired from the international break, what what was their fans' excuse? I mean, they were. Really, I mean, it's no, <laughs> oh no. It's not a loud. It's not a loud stadium, Troy. But like, do you think it's a twelve thirty thing or a City thing or a bit of both? Like, like twelve. I, 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 I'm too lazy to check all the twelve thirty kickoffs, but they're not as good. They're just not as. They're just not as good, are they?
3: I think it was ruined as a spectacle because of the kickoff time. Um, I'm not going to say that's the only thing, but I could imagine that game at 4.30 on a Sunday and it has more energy in it and it has more... I don't know, it's more pumped up because its it was as low-key as a top-two game as you could find. Um, and it was very unlike the two of them. And when you're not... I mean, we just spoke about Newcastle, didn't we? We spoke about how their fans drive them on and the energy around St James's Park is unbelievable. Well... Saturday, as far as I was concerned, was a damp squid, and so were the fans. And I, I, I heard some. Uh, I, there was a phone in, wasn't there? On, a, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to to say the uh, channel. So there was this phone. Can I and...
1: just know? Can I just stop you? Did you say a damp squid? I don't know. Squid? Did
3: I? I can't remember. I can't. But let's <laughs> I just. I think move you on. went.
1: Let's I mean, either away. is bad. No, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants a dance squid for dinner, do they? Anyway, back to back to back to six oh six. I think it's probably was what it six oh six, right? I don't okay. know. I don't and know.
3: I can't remember. But there was this city fan that was absolutely going in on Pep for saying that the fans were not <laughs> there. Yeah, was going in on Pep for saying that the fans were, you know, didn't turn up, and he needed more noise. And he, as far as he was concerned, it was the manager and his players, and and they were. They were terrible on the day and they need to give the fans something to sing about and something to... To shout about, so he like went, a treble. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that might just do it. Yeah, that might just do it. But he went, he went off key, and uh, it was quite funny to listen to. But
1: but, look, but do that... you think? Sorry, sorry, Troy, do you think it is? You know, expectation is everything here, right? The Newcastle fans are still on this journey. They're not yeah. won anything yet, right? They're, they you know, and it might come in ten years that Newcastle fans turn up and go, "Oh, we've won another trophy." Who cares? Like, City are in that space now. I,
0: I'm going to speak out in not in defence of Manchester City fans, but I'm going to say I've seen this behaviour before and it was at Manchester United back in the early 2000s. Once the treble journey had been completed, you went to a 3pm kick-off against Derby County or you, know, you name it. The, the atmosphere used to be terrible then. And I think Liverpool fans would probably tell you the same like, You know, post their great feats of the 80s, is that there comes a point when your team is so good that you're actually asking to be entertained. And I think maybe City fans are at that point. They've been through the whole journey and out the other side. And they're actually at this point, which actually people will laugh about this, but if you support a team that's used to winning all the time, winning actually doesn't become this point of celebration like Newcastle have got this sort of, you know, we've beaten Chelsea, what a brilliant day, everyone out on the tune. It's like, it's almost like a sense of relief. Ah, we won the title this year. That's a relief. Well, it's a totally different. It's a different.
3: Don't don't know what that feels like, John.
0: No, well, Troy, Honestly. no, I'm well, sorry. But...
1: Much much like the uh, much like the much like the FSA awards, which I nervously bring up because <laughs> <laughs> Gary Linick has probably got it in the bag this year. Um, but and so you must be weird for the sort of older city fans who remember Main Road. Well, and... oh, come on,
0: I think they they'll be like that too now. I mean, it, 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 success just makes. It turns grounds into that. It, it becomes like almost like a, a theme park of, like, you go to watch the team win.
1: Let's go to Goodison. N- not a ground where the fans expect to win. No. <laughs> and, uh, no. Um, and they didn't. Leo says, could we replace all post-match analysis with a reel of the best overhead kicks scored in the Premier League? I'm for this. Jim, Sinclair Spectrum rating required. Uh, I gave it an 8.9. Well, I mean, it's not me. It's obviously just uh, what is announced. Um, Charlie, just asked Barry if he could have scored it. Yes, a, a ludicrous number of that was a good goal, wasn't it, Barry? Um, and Chris, has Gonacho sealed goal of the season or does Ethan Pinnock still have something in his locker? I mean, it's such a brilliant overhead kick, Barry, isn't it? And it's, it came, it's almost came
2: too early, like not ready for a goal of this quality this early in a game. Yeah, I mean, I think Michael Elisa, uh probably had a contender for goal of the season 24 hours previously and... Uh, up pops Alejandro Garnacho with that spectacularly acrobatic overhead kick. It was a good team goal and it was an excellent individual goal all wrapped in one. I think Victor Lindelof played a great crossfield diagonal to, to Rashford, who put uh, Dallow in behind with a weighted pass, the cross to Garnacho, and you know he he had to work to get under the ball in, in the right position, and then uh, just into the top corner not straight, diagonal, picked for a dive, didn't get near it, and it's just a sensational goal. He knew it, everyone, all his teammates knew it, everyone in Goodison knew it. I think, I mean, I know Everton fans are not in a mood for, for magnanimity and celebrating things, but I, I think if I was an Everton fan and I was behind that goal, I... I would have spontaneously would just applauded that strike, even though it was against my team. I think if I was an Everton <laughs> player,
1: I would. I was wondering, do you know? Would it be? How would you know? Would you know? Would you be forced to? You know, you'd be instantly sold. You know, if you were James Tarkovsky and were like, do you know what? Fair play. Because when I'm playing five aside, if the Oppo do something good, I do say, Oh no, that was good. Um, but ah, oh, it was poetry. And actually, like Barry made the point, Troy. He has to do like a five-yard beer-the-bang Linford Christie sprint to get to the ball before he can even begin the process of scoring an overhead
3: I mean, kick. That's a bit dramatic, Max, but I know what you mean. Okay. <laughs> um, no, listen, the way he...
1: Who do you want? I'm trying to think. I'm running out of sprinters. Uh, the sprint who, from Ato Deserby. We'll
3: talk about that later on. It could be a Deserby-type okay. right. sprint. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No. Huey Teep. Huey yeah. Teep. There we go. A Huey Teep-type <laughs> sprint.
3: <laughs> Listen, the
1: cross the, the, Huey the, Huey T <laughs> Huey T <laughs> always in lane one he's always in lane one yeah, I'm Huey trying to get T, back on it? track and you two are just <laughs> yeah here we go yeah. Troy, come on come on Troy focus
3: I mean the cross from it's a, just a decent cross into the box you know it, it, it's not aimed at anybody it's a cross where you want someone to get on the end of it and the movement from Garnacho, the couple of steps back to set himself, to do what he did. I mean, there was this big debate yesterday, wasn't there? I don't know. We always do this, don't we, in football? You know, what's the next best one? Well, it was Rooney. Well, what was the context of Rooney's goal? We never seem to just enjoy the moment and allow it to to just sit alone by itself. Um, It was an incredible strike. He said he didn't know that it went in until he heard the fans. I watched Garnacho; He was watching it all the way. He wanted to know. He hit a sweet connection and he wanted to know where it ended up. And It it, it was perfection. And you you described it, Max, the, the, the pass from Lindelof, which I don't know where that came from, by the way. But that was, I mean, how much space and time that he had, how much space and time Rashford had. You know, Everton should have been pumped up right at the beginning of the game and their fans were definitely trying to make them pumped up. But the space that the, all those players had to, to, to kind of connect the dots that ended up with Garnacho in space doing what he did was just was just unbelievable. And I think if it was another type of goal, it wouldn't have deflated the stadium because the stadium was up, wasn't it? I think if it was another type of goal, it wouldn't have deflated the stadium the way that it is. But that the way that it did. But that early, that quality, that precision, and you know the stadium was was flat. Very very early doors. It picked up again, but wow, Barnacho has threatened brilliance so much in his short career. I, he, he won't better that. He won't better that, and he's got a long way to go.
1: <laughs> That's it. Retirement. <laughs> Just end your career now. There's nothing you can do. Tom says, "Who should uh, Kobe Minu sit next to when he gets on that plane?" Um, had a good game, John, didn't he? And I confess, was not aware of this human being until yesterday.
0: He played very well on the pre-season tour and those that follow Manchester United's you know, representative teams have have been championing him for quite a long time. actually got an injury out in America and they've been waiting a long time to see him uh, and I hadn't seen him play before and he was hugely impressive, wasn't he? Uh, played with real confidence. Um, obviously, that clearance off the line was vital and. Um, <laughs> Manchester United have c- cried out for that player. Um, everyone's getting a bit excited about, you know, he's the player Pogba could have been. All this type of stuff and all that type of stuff. Um, th- there is a st- there is a story out there that uh, Big Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to bin off Casemiro because of Maynou, We're already going that silly, but uh, let's set aside all that. That's about as assured a debut as you could. See, really wasn't it? Um, can I mention Everton because they were playing, please? Do pretty disappointing, weren't they? Really, um, I Ashley Young, uh, let's categorize him with Thiago Silva as listen, mate, I love watch love the fact you're still out there, but and I do like Ashley Young as a player, it wasn't happening for him. I thought Sean Dyche's defense of that penalty incident was among the most ridiculous uh, ref stuff I've ever seen in my life. What did, he, it, what did he say? Well, he was saying, you know, oh, well, in these days, you know, those will be given, won't they? You know you know what it's like, you know, this VAR nonsense. It's like, well, the referee made a mistake in booking a player for, when there was a clear foul there, and uh, it was a penalty all day long. It was a terrible decision by John Brooks, and Dyche and is talking as if there's been this great injustice carried out and I wrote in the talking points piece that we did for the, the, the Monday, Everton have got this injustice that they feel they've suffered and let's not go into that, but you can't play a game where you think everything is going to go against you and that appeared to be the attitude of the crowd, of the manager, of the team, of the every decision goes against them. Boo, boo, boo. Come on. You've got to be more positive about that.
1: I mean, they they are good at booing. Let's be I mean, fair. So you know. I mean, yeah, it's... <laughs>
0: And it's yeah, had lots I mean, of practice. It, 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 but I don't think they for a game that you know you you use the siege mentality, well, they didn't use the siege mentality as a, as a positive, because United could have gone into that game frightened of what they were they were going to expect from Everton, and it didn't show up. It, it wasn't there.
1: Yeah. Um. Uh, thousands of Everton fans held up signs with the Premier League's logo and corrupt written on them, and there were, as you know, John pointed out, really loud boos. Uh, during the Premier League anthem, which isn't a great anthem. That's no, terrible. face it, really bad, yeah. But, you know, like you, Barry, I mean, in the same sense that I was definitely thought Chelsea would beat Newcastle, I thought Everton would win. And I've been saying, oh, Everton will be fine. This is a great year to get a 10-point deduction. And now I'm, you know, I know it's only one
2: game. I'm suddenly like, oh, maybe it's not a great season to have a 10-point deduction. Well, I don't think any season's a good season to have a 10-point deduction. It may be reduced. It is a harsh punishment, but them's the breaks. They broke the rules. The one thing I'd say they can take from it, they played quite well in the first half, even after that gut punch uh, from Garnaccio, and were the better team at half time going in. And then Young gives away that really daft penalty, and I couldn't agree more with John about Daish's trying to claim it was in some way an egregious decision, because it wasn't. That was it. You know, game over. So yeah, but they did okay in the first half until they gave away that penalty. Can we just note
3: that Martial was smiling during the game and had a big grin on his face, which yeah. so if you note that day, brilliant I can't finish remember. finish was excellent, yeah, I mean, finish was first class.
1: Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. I, I was surprised it was him, but he's he, he scores lots of goals against Everton. It. Everton, yeah. um and, and and nobody else. Um but yeah, well done him. Um Arsenal top of the league. Can I have in the last minute? A great moment for him. Um and I guess you have to grind these results out, don't you, if you wanna if you wanna stay the course. I mean the the, the big story from this was the was Aaron Ramsdale playing Baz. and, and you know, for, for the first fifteen minutes it, it looked like he had a touch of the Tiago Silvers, like he'd completely forgotten how to play football. Um
2: and that was quite funny. One imagines he's understandably nervous because he doesn't get many opportunities because he's been relegated to number two in the pecking order. And he's been relegated, some say unfairly. Uh, I don't really know whether he who's better between him and Raya. But um, yeah, he, he didn't play brilliantly there at all uh, and won't have given Arteta much to think about. Um, even though he kept a clean sheet. You know, that was not through anything wonderful he did. But, uh, yeah, so him and Kai Havertz finally making a major contribution to Arsenal's season, I suppose, are the two stories to come out of this not particularly good game.
1: Hmm. It's interesting, John, after the game, when Arteta was asked about Aaron Ramsdale, he didn't... He he sort of said, I'm just really pleased we got a clean sheet and our defence was excellent. Like, he, he sort of couldn't even name him because he's wronged him so badly. It was just sort of slightly odd.
0: Yeah, I, I think <laughs> Arteta can be like that. I think it's fair to say. Uh, he likes the questions to be the questions he likes. He's obviously nailed his colours to the mass with Raya. Um, and I, I, I saw someone say this. I think that's a good advice. Ramsdale in January will presumably get a move. And will be a good goalkeeper for somebody else. Uh, and he should look at it that way.
1: Yeah. And look, we have to say, like this Premier League season is actually looking really exciting at the top, Troy. And 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 full credit to Arsenal, who perhaps haven't been brilliant so far this season and yet are top of the league.
3: Just got to find ways to win, haven't you? Um, when you're not playing well, when you're not far in on all cylinders, when... You know, the game seems to be petering out. You've just got to find a way to win. And again, the best thing in the game was the creation of the Arsenal goal. You know, it was, you know, the movement was good. They were very patient. It gets to Saka. He delivers a delicious ball to the back stick. And if you're not going to put that away, then you don't deserve to be where you are. So, you know, they haven't been brilliant. They've got a few injuries as well. Everyone's, you know... Dealing with this injury situation and I suppose as we get closer to the big run of of games over the Christmas period and then into January, getting over the line is the most important thing and it doesn't matter how. So uh, he'll be very pleased about that because they were resilient. They... You know they had one chalked off early on. They got the goalkeeper who's not sure of himself. In I think Arteta has put both of them in a very, very difficult situation where they're both not sure of each of themselves when they're playing. And but he's obviously, like we've said, gone that Ray is going to be my number one. But listen, uh, one nil, one nil to the Arsenal. We're back to that great finish, um, great delivery, patient game got what they got out of it i'm sure brentford will be very disappointed they probably feel they deserve something but the win goes to
1: arsenal uh yeah right that'll do for part two uh part three four more games to rattle through welcome to part three of the guardian football weekly uh to kenilworth road then uh john you were there troy were you there i was indeed there we go. What, we really wanted to get this totally wow. covered. Barry, why weren't you there? We
2: weren't thinking th- th- this through when we booked this panel. The uh, I'm and- still thawing out from the last time I was at Kenilworth <laughs> Road when Luton were playing non-league football. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm, still, I'm still thawing out now, I have to say.
1: <laughs> Presumably, Troy was in a prawn sandwich box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so have, have, you have you been to Luton? Have been to I have been
3: There's
1: to Luton. There's not many prawn
3: sandwich oh, boxes, but
1: yeah. No. Is there a chicken feet box? There must be a chicken <laughs> feet box, uh, I presume. Uh, um, a brilliant result for Luton, Troy. An amazing result
3: for Luton, and one that they, they had to take. You know, they've got a couple of games coming. They've still got Man City, Arsenal and Chelsea before Christmas. So you've got to look at games where you think this is an opportunity to take three points, and obviously their first home win, and and... It was a very Luton-type game, if you, if you don't mind me saying, and obviously I haven't seen many, but from the 4-5 or five that I've now watched, discipline early doors, although they've got to thank their goalkeeper, Kaminsky, for a double save, one from Eze, which was a little bit easier. He pushed it out and slot followed up, and then a one-handed save uh, left-hand side. Amazing. Um, and, and then what they do is is he really goes for it. 60, 65 minutes, he he really goes for it. And he, it's almost like this, this mentality, we can turn it on a little bit now. Um, And they get their goal from Menga, a former Man United player, and then they concede this wonder goal. And John, you're going to have to describe it. I've seen it on TV. I saw the early bit with the turn from Elise, and then you don't get to see anything else down that touchline. Um, and then I see ball getting whipped into the top corner and I don't know if it's Elyse or not so I don't know what went on but it was an, an excellent goal a
0: minute afterwards
1: Andros giving his dad restricted view tickets, Is that was
3: <laughs>
0: outrage? I've got, I've got news for you Troy, we must have been sat near each other because my view was really? more restricted than that I saw again, I, I saw Olyse receive the ball, almost straight from kick off wasn't it, and then yeah. he sets off and then the ball's in the net because I, I yeah, it, it was just. I mean, and obviously we we have a replay in the uh, a very uh, although the, the the um and I'm not going to do down a loot inside this, but uh, the, the TV screens are like you have the contrast up in about 1987 or something like that. So it wasn't oh. quite
1: when you turn them off at the end, <laughs> yeah, does it all go down into a yeah, darkness, yeah, pew- yeah, exactly. down to the middle? It, but. Um,
0: <laughs> it was it was a fantastic goal uh, a player who is so so talented i've i've been looking at him seem so, so quite a few goals uh the only thing i would say about him is it doesn't happen enough he doesn't get involved enough compared to Eze who when he went off the game changed a little bit didn't it yeah, um, yeah 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 i know I it's actually true i don't know if i can say this uh luton took off a player and brought on a guy that scored a goal uh who who was that? <laughs> He's only got sixty
3: minutes in his tank, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Andros played well before that. He was the, him and Ross Barkley looked the players capable of knitting it together. And then after that, yeah, as you said, uh, Rob Edwards. It was like put the throttle on with you know, yeah fresher legs, shall we say?
2: Wasn't wasn't there a winner more or less the same goal they scored to go two one up against Liverpool. Like identical,
0: yeah. Ross Barkley out to the side of Benny, who was had a great game by the way. Oh, it's a great game, yeah. yeah. And, and Jacob Brown slides across. Yeah, I mean, it was a great game to be. Actually, I really did enjoy it.
3: The cross caused confusion, didn't it? Because Anderson could have dealt with it, Johnson could have dealt with it. They both said, "Well, will you deal with it," and then yeah. Brown comes in and, and nicks it in. And, and then they announced twelve minutes stoppage time. By the <laughs> way, which ended up being fourteen, so yeah, that yeah. wasn't great. But no, it's a great victory for Luton. You know. For for eleven thousand, just over eleven thousand stadium, that place was rocking. It was absolutely rocking, and it was nice to see.
1: People have said that, but before before the season started, John, that they needed, you know, the Kenilworth Cauldron to be a thing. And did you get a sense from that yesterday that this this is something that Luton could build on and could give themselves a decent. Sniff of survival.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's the second time I've been there. Uh, and um, the atmosphere of a boat. I mean, it was a Spurs game before, which they lost, but it, it was a similar atmosphere. They really get on top of the opposition. And the good thing about the team is that the team give the fans a lot to work with. They really do work harder than any team I've seen in the Premier League this season. Uh, and uh, and um, actually, uh, w- one note for Rob Edwards. Uh the fisherman's jumper as a uh managerial fashion item. I'm all for that.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Um uh Forest two Brighton three. Um seems harsh, Barry, for this to be so <laughs> late in the pod, given what an exciting game it was.
2: Yeah, it was a brilliant game and I'm aware of our sort of time is against us. And it's sad that my main takeout from this game was Steve Cooper's uh, Daish-esque moan afterwards. Forrest were a goal up at home against a team that is absolutely decimated by injury and has, I think, two or three more injuries on the back of this game. And they lost. And all he could do was blame the referee for two decisions that I think were perfectly reasonable. And he's Getting into that, I'm a fan of Steve Cooper's, but his pre-match moaning is getting really tiresome, and yeah, I I think it's quite unedifying for him, because Forrest should have won this game, and and they threw it away, and he has no one to blame but himself and his own players. Uh, The other takeout is uh, Evan Ferguson is really good, and scored another belting goal, that's kind of it really oh the lewis dunk sending off was quite strange so he got sent off two yellow cards in Mm. quick succession for dissent the first one's fine he got and then he he appeared to go and you know shake anthony taylor's hand now i don't know if he said something to taylor or what but it seemed like from what i hear barry he
3: said ah, okay and it was a red it was a red not a second oh really yeah um, so a per- personally abusive language, apparently. And you can tell that he's talking, well, he's saying something to him. He turns back round, offers his hand because he knows he's said something that, you know, he shouldn't have said. And Anthony Taylor, quite rightly, has just gone to his pocket
2: and given him a red. And he looked quite embarrassed, Dunk, as he, as he you know, got the red card. Yeah, it's, it's very irresponsible of him because, as I say, uh, like Rhys James, Brighton have... I think 13 odd players out injured, many of them key. And now he's going to have uh, two... Is that his second rate of the season? No, it isn't. It's his first. But um, yeah, so he's now looking at a ban and that's just daft. But, you know, people do things in the heat of the moment, I suppose.
1: Uh, Chevy United 1, Bournemouth 3. Uh, Barry, you're our resident Bournemouth correspondent. Three wins in four for them. Your Iola beginning to look like the manager... We were all brackets. Sid <laughs> was uh, expecting this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would caveat this win with the fact Sheffield United were absolutely appalling. In the same way, I would caveat their win against Newcastle by the fact with the fact Newcastle were decimated by injury and looked incredibly leggy. But they're good results.
0: Watching this game, um, Antoine Semenyo looked really, really good for Bournemouth. Can't say it. they signed him in January. The one thing to say about Bournemouth is that they have spent money, not on the quiet, but in a way that, say, Sheffield United haven't. And Bournemouth's owners are ambitious to establish a Premier League club. Uh, I don't think we can say the same about Sheffield United. It's quite sad. Uh, the fans did boo the team. Uh, they might boo the owners a bit more, I think.
1: Uh, Burnley won, West Ham two finally. Uh, two says, are Burnley going to be okay? Um unlikely Troy isn't it I mean they were so close to getting a win and to come away with nothing yeah. is brutal
3: but it's becoming a bit of a trait now and something's got to change it's seven seven home defeats in a row and we were just talking about Luton and them making Kenilworth Road a fortress any team down the bottom their home form is absolutely vital Absol- maybe not Everton because you seem to be better away from home but the the home form is absolutely vital and I'd again, you know, they're a young side and I think they're showing that they're a young side. They, When the pressure comes on, they can't see games out. They haven't got enough who will just put the ball into rosette or who will smash it down the pitch and get everybody up and, you know, they held that one goal lead for quite a long time and, and deserved it, by the way. West Ham didn't look great, but once West Ham got a sniff that they were tiring and once they got a sniff that they were, you know, they're they were getting a little bit nervous, they took, Took the ball by the horns, and Kudos was was brilliant in the creation of both goals. Look for Burnley. I don't Vincent. I don't think Vincent company's in trouble, but I think something needs to change because they've got to get results. He's got to pick results up and play in the way that he wants to play, um, which is in stealing in the players. But they've not found a way to win games, so something's got to give.
1: So, so what, if it's not him, what is it? Be more direct. Be more pragmatic. What's the? I, I,
3: I just think the approach needs to be. I mean, particularly in in that game on Saturday, then is you're one nil up. you are one 0 up. You know, you've you've got to settle. You've got to be satisfied. Almost, you haven't. You've got to get over the line. I think the confidence that a win gives you is 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 unbelievable. And particularly in their position, they've just got to get over the line. So. You know, keeping that that score a one nil win against West Ham is a decent result, and I think it it just confidence just flows through the whole club. But another defeat, you know, in that manner, which is not the first time at home, is soul destroying. And you know, does Vincent need to change his tactics a little bit? Is it something that they've said, look, Vin, just go and do what you've got to do. We'll take the the rough with the smooth, and and if we get relegated, we get relegated. But it's a, it's a tricky one to to deal with, and I think. He's got to find a result somewhere, and the, he's got to instill the confidence in the players to believe that they can get results.
2: They've got Sheffield United at home next. Okay, so there's That's there's their one, result. That is a big one.
1: Yeah, I mean, taking the rough with the smooth is easier than just taking the rough with the rough, which is what what, what is currently happening. But maybe, you know, we started the pod with a vibes guy. We paid tribute to a vibes guy. Maybe Vincent Company will end the pod as just a vibes guy. And this is the vibe. We just keep on playing like this. He needs a
2: pair of maracas. <laughs> he does.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing.
1: Fulham right. uh, Fulham Wolves is tonight. We'll cover that on Wednesday's pod. If we remember, of course, and that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, John. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Troy. Pleasure, Max. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Steve.